Are you all ready and pumped up for God's Word today? Yes? Right, I'm uh, excited even though this is the last uh, sermon for, for me today. Uh, it definitely feels like it is just like the first. Right, so hopefully today you are blessed. Right, we have been reading First John the last two weeks, right? And we have been focusing on the theme of the episode. And in the first week, uh, Pastor Daniel, Thiel and uh, Pastor Mark shared about what it means to walk in the light. And uh, last week, Pastor Chris Young you know, talked about what, when love uh, is sinful. And today's focus right, is on abiding in Christ, uh, in particular, the aspect of our love uh, and deeds. You know, we are all called to love. Right? And by right, that should translate quite naturally into deeds. Right? But many of us still struggle. Right? In principle, we agree that we should and we need to love. But somehow, it doesn't always automatically flow into doing works of love. How then can we abide in Christ? Right, so today we will spend some time to explore what hinders us from love and good works and how we can continue to abide in Christ. Right, the passage for today is taken from First uh, John chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Right, shall we read that together? 1, 2, 3. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Right, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my God, my Redeemer. Amen. You know, we just had our staff retreat a few weeks ago, and in the retreat, we had some group time where we, you know, share. And I remember, right, Brian Wong, right, he's, he's one of our newest staff in Kus. Right, shall we give him a hand? <laughs> And he's actually right there over there, uh, in a, in a me- in that in audio box, or what do you call that, the media section over there. And he was sharing, you know, how he felt old, right, relating to the youth. Because even he doesn't quite understand things like TikTok. And Brian is, uh, 25 years old. <laughs> right. I think almost everyone else in the group is, uh, more than 10 years older than him. Can you imagine how we feel? So, yeah, yeah. But I guess the thing is that the world is moving at a much faster pace than before. And even this label, right, the age of information is a little bit outdated because now, right, information is so readily available that you don't need to, you know, mention it anymore. And some people say that it's perhaps more accurate to, to call it the age of intelligence or the age of knowledge. Right, what this means is that we are now living in an age where deep knowledge is now more possible than before. You know, we can now thoroughly examine and analyze vast amounts of information to know deeply about things. But as believers, we all know that the only knowing that matters, right, as Pastor Chris Young said last week, is knowing God. Right, it's not about having more information or knowledge about God, but really knowing God intimately. Right, our text today in verse 13 says that, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. By this we know. Right, so by looking at some of these things, we can know. Right, and thankfully, we don't need very sophisticated analysis to do, to do that. Right, we, I know nowadays you can, you know, go and do a lot of word search, you know, all those uh, fanciful analysis. But this one, today's message is actually something very simple. Right, John's message is to get us to do a self-examination of our walk with God. And I want to invite us to do the same today. Right, this phrase, by this we know, right, it was used at least eight times, right, in this short letter. And the fact that there are so many repetitions, right, should get us curious about, you know, what were the things that John wanted us to know? So I pulled out all the eight uses of these, uh, phrases here, and we can all take a look. Right, uh, he has this, by this we know that we have come to know him 
And he says the next one, By this we may know that we are in him. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and we are sure our hearts before him. By this we know that he abides in us. By this you know the spirit of God. By this we know the spirit of truth. By this we know that we abide in him and he in you. By this we know that we love the children of God. So if you look to look at all of that, right? So do you think it's just a laundry list of uh, separate things? Or are they more or less referring to a core central idea? To give you a bit of time, right? Just look at it. So you have him, the truth, him abiding in us, the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, you know, all underlying there. And I would say that it's actually not a list of separate things, right? But they are all referring to this core idea, right? Core idea of knowing God, right? In short, John is spending a lot of time explaining how do you know that you know God? Is that confusing? I, I was told in the first service, actually a little bit complicated, right? How do you know that you know God? How do you know that you are in Him? You are of the truth and that you know the Spirit. Right, the answer John gives is that by this we know. Right, There is a certain way by which you can tell. And what is this way? Right, John says, by this. So the answer is in this. Right, so let's look at the verses again. What are these? What is this? So in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, this refers to, right, if we keep His commands. The next one refers to whoever keeps His words. And then you have love indeed and truth. And whoever keeps his commands, and you have got uh, those who confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, uh, and you have those who ever knows God listens to us. You have one uh, in verse uh, chapter four, verse twelve to thirteen that says, "If we love one another," and uh, in chapter five, verse two, you have, you have this: "When we love God and obey His commandments." Right. So once again, not a list of separate things, right? But they are all essentially saying the same thing. So if you put both of them together, right? John is saying that the way to know if we really know God is whether we obey God's commandments and carry out love. Right now, let's just take a step back, right? Why would John want to talk to the church about how do we know that we know God? If you don't know God, maybe you won't be in the church, right? Isn't it the case that the majority, if not all of the church, should already know God? I don't think that John is just writing this episode to address a small minority group of people. Right? I would like to suggest that the reason why John wrote about this is because he has witnessed a significant amount of incongruence in the church. Right? There are some who claim that they know God, but they don't even attempt to do the things that God commanded them. Right? They may argue that they know God so long as they believe in their hearts. <coughs> Sorry. And it doesn't matter you know, so much what they do. And this is part of the wrong teaching and belief that some in the church had back then. You know, so John is addressing this issue by asking everyone to do a self-examination, right? To reflect and ask themselves, right? Can they really know God and not do the things that he asks us to do? So if a professing believer finds that he doesn't care much about obeying God and loving others, then John suspects that he may not even know God at all, right? He's either misled or deluded. And it's just like what Jesus said to some of those who apparently follow him. Right, he said, I never knew you. But that's such a scary thought. And I think none of us will want to hear that from our Lord, right? So John, as he's writing this, he's hoping that if there is anyone at all in that category, right, he will repent and change his ways. So the Apostle John says that there should be some visible evidence if someone knows God. And hence, he uses a repeated phrase, by this we know. You know, my wife, uh, she was a crazy F4 fan when she was in secondary school. Uh, but I didn't know her back then, thankfully, right? 
I only got to know her when we were in uh, university, and by that time, F4 already, uh, alternate F4. Means, uh, no more already. Uh, not very popular. But I knew she was a big fan because every time I go to her house, you know, I could see the visible evidence plastered all over her room walls, right? All the portrait shots of the, the long hair guy staring down, you know, from different angles, right? And there is also a significant section in the cupboard that is stuffed with all their memorabilia. You know, so by these, I know that she was an F4 fan. And by the way, can you all tell that, you know, senior pastor here, right? He's actually a very big Blackpink fan. <laughs> wow, right? Are you all surprised? You all didn't know that, right? Because if you examine him closely enough, right, if you follow him on his uh, Instagram, his, uh, you know, Facebook, and you like search out his blog, you know, and all that, you examine him closely enough, you'll find that there is no visible evidence that he has any inclination or any positive feelings towards Blackpink. And what does that mean? It means that you must come to the conclusion that I'm talking nonsense. Lah. <laughs> because there is no evidence, right? If you're a big fan, there will be some visible evidence somehow. Right? People will be able to tell. And the converse is also true, right? If you are not a fan, right? The fans, for sure, they can tell. You know, because my cell group has got a number of Taylor Swift fans. Uh, and uh, no offense to Taylor Swift fans out there. I, I don't like Taylor Swift, but it's okay. You can like him. <laughs> right? And whenever they digress into a side conversation about Taylor Swift... Right, they will just see this cringy look just slowly developing and forming and becoming more evident right? By, uh, in the midst of the conversation. And by that visible evidence, they know too that I'm obviously not a fan. And the visible evidence that one knows God right, is when we live a lifestyle of obeying what God commands us to do. And that can be summed up as loving one another. Right, that's our first point for today. Right? We know that we love God when we love one another. Right, this is the benchmark. Right, which we are supposed to examine ourselves. Are we loving others? Well, it's not about how regular we are in church or how well we know the Bible, even though these are all very important things. And the purpose of this self-examination is for us to reflect and learn. You know, but as Singaporeans, you know, sometimes, many times, we tend to think of uh, examination as an evaluation of how good we are, right? as opposed to it being an opportunity for learning. Right, if there are teachers out there, right, you know that in the education sector, you know, they use these two terms, right? They call it like uh, assessment for learning and assessment of learning. Right, there will be an assessment of our learning, right? How well have, uh, have we really, you know, uh, learned and, and put into practice what Jesus taught? Right, there's an assessment of our learning right at the end when Jesus comes back. Right, that's our final evaluation on whether we have been faithful. But all the tests that we encounter along the way, including this self-examination that John is prompting us to do, is an assessment for our learning. Right? So if you are thinking, oh yes, I love God, you know, but I don't think I love Christians very much. Right? Oh, I, I actually love senior pastor, but the other pastors, yeah, not so much. Right? Like based on this benchmark that John said, right, it is not loving one another very well. Right? But John's purpose here is not to condemn but rather, we are to, you know, treat this as an assessment for our own learning. Yeah, yes, you know, the assessment will reveal that we fall short, right? That's me too. But like what the pastors have been saying the past weeks, right? If we are struggling, right, then congratulations. Right? Because struggling is an evidence that we are attempting to obey God. Right? In fact, I think that is pretty much the state of the church that John was writing to. Right? Most people want to love God fully, but we are not there yet. And if our struggle to love is for our learning, what are we supposed to learn? Right, this leads us to our second point. We, we struggle to love because of sin. 
Right? Many times we struggle because we sin. We don't feel like loving because of our selfish nature. We don't want to inconvenience ourselves. We don't want to give of ourselves. We don't want to give of our time and resources. And the Apostle Paul uh, is with us on this as well. Right? He describes this in uh, Romans 7. I'll read that to you. Right? For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not know, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, which means the body. Right? How many of us here can identify with what Paul said? Show of hands. I guess some of us is not too bad, right? No, some of us are struggling. Thank God for the Apostle Paul, isn't it? Right, it helps us to know that struggling is normal. I mean, not all of us are struggling, but that's okay. For those who are struggling, do know that struggling is normal. And what is the solution to our struggle then? Right, Romans 7 is quite a lengthy text and sometimes it's quite difficult to understand because uh, a lot of things are said there. But basically, Paul was describing in detail, great detail, about this struggle. And maybe he was trying to, you know, analyze the mechanics behind, you know, how come I'm struggling and all that. And eventually, this whole analysis, right, ended quite abruptly. In verse 24, the next verse, he suddenly exclaims, Oh, what a wretched man I am. Right, it's like he was having this internal conversation with himself to understand why he was struggling. Right, and then suddenly, he comes to the conclusion, right, I, it's because I'm a wretched man, I'm sinful. Right, and the next thing he says is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I think we are similar to Paul in that sometimes when we think about our struggle, it's quite perplexing. Right, we wonder why we are flipping back and forth like a roti prata and we wonder this, we wonder that. And so if we have read, you know, Paul, actually we can save ourselves, you know, this whole tiring process and just fast forward to his conclusion. Right, his conclusion, right? It's basically, one, he's a wretched man. Right, we struggle because of sin. And two, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Christ is our advocate when we sin. Right, that's our next point. Right, very early on in, uh, in chapter 2, uh, John says this as well, in, uh, in this episode that we have been uh, reading about the past weeks, right? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right, but if anyone does sin, right, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right, and the way to receive help from our advocate is told to us just a few verses before in First uh, John 1 9. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right, so we simply go to God and confess. Right? It is that simple. And that's why when you read Romans 7, right, when Paul described his struggle, it seems very complicated. But the solution is simple. Right? Just one line. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, from our struggle to, lo- to, to love, we are to learn that we are sinful and that we need Christ to be our advocate. And this is the important lesson that we are to learn from the struggle, right? Uh, uh, this assessment, right, for our learning, if you like. We are reminded that even as we struggle, we have God's assurance that He's there for us as our advocate. As Christians, you know, we know this at the start very well, right? Because that's how, you know, we, we all realize that we are sinners and then we go to Christ as our Savior, you know, but then when we, you know, so-called progress in our faith, we forget that coming to Jesus is not a one-time affair, right, but an ongoing walk with Him. Well, He's not just our Savior, but also our Advocate. 
when an advocate is basically a, a defense counsel who helps you in your case before the judge. Right, there's just not earlier on during the ministry time, there was a brother who gave a word, right, he says that there are some of you here today that Jesus wants to speak to you, he wants to tell you, right, that, uh, that, that he's not here to judge you, but he's here to save you. And in the context of what I'm saying, I want to tell you guys that he's here to not just save you one time, right, at the start, but he's here to advocate for you every time. Right, our relationship with Jesus didn't end with receiving him. Right? He continues to be our advocate even as we struggle with sin. And this is extremely important because if we don't go to Jesus in our struggle, then we will not be able to, to truly overcome. Right? In fact, actually, that's just like what uh, pre-believers do as well. Right? If you accept Jesus at the start and then after that when you face struggle and it's just going to be the same as everyone else, then Jesus is not really impacting our lives, right? isn't it? And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, that when we despair in our worldly grief, if you are in your struggle and you are struggling so hard that you are grieving, if we despair in our worldly grief, it will only lead to death. And on the contrary, right, John's assurance today is that when we have godly grief, right, we will godly sorrow, you will let, will lead us to Jesus, our advocate, and that leads us to repentance. Right, so my friends here today, right, if you are going through a, a difficult season in your life right now, if there is something that it's troubling you, that you're struggling, you know, I want to tell you that you know, please do not lose heart. I hope that today's message you know, will bring you some assurance, will bring you some comfort, right, and bring you some encouragement. You know, our sermon title for today is Abiding in Christ, Our Love and Good Works. And in John's epistle, he talks a lot about abiding in God, abiding in His love, etc. And the word abide right, basically means to remain. And that's why in some translations, the word remain is used instead. Right, to remain is to continue to be. Right, when I say I want to remain pure, it means I want to, it means I want to continue to be pure. Right, so let's think about it for a moment, right? Why does John tell us to abide? Why he could tell us a number of things. He could tell us, you know, to love, right? But he tells us to abide. He uses this word. Sometimes when I bring my uh, son, uh, Judah, to the mall, I, I say the name Judah because he's watching a live stream today, right? Uh, yeah, when we, when we go to the mall, and I, sometimes I need to quickly, you know, throw a piece of rubbish, and I, it's not convenient for me to carry him, to bring him to the dustbin, right? I'll ask him to stand at the corner. I'll tell him here, hey, Judah, remain here, stay here, right? Don't go anywhere. And the reason why I tell him that is because I anticipate that there is an inclination for him, in fact, a very strong inclination for him to run around. Right, and likewise, when, when we are at the playground, right, when we are, when he's just going on a, a simple uh, obstacle course, I will stand on the side and I will keep telling him, right, keep going, right, keep going, right, continue the same way. You know why? Because he's tempted, very easily tempted to stop and ask for help or to just turn back when he feels that he's not up to it. You know, when the Apostle Paul writes this message to tell us to abide in God's love, I suspect, you know, the intentions are similar. Right, he tells us to abide because we are like little children, right? which is precisely the term of address he uses quite a lot in this letter. And as little children, you know, we are inclined to not remain and not continue if we are left entirely on our own. So in order to abide, right, we need to first deal with the things that will easily cause us to not remain and not to continue. Right? That's our struggle with sin. Our struggle you know, reveals to us our inadequacies, our weaknesses, and imperfections, right? Because we are so inclined to sin. And this revelation, 
must lead us to find our help in Christ, our advocate. Right? And in Christian terms, this is simply called repentance. Right? It's only when we truly repent that we can truly stand up and move forward again. And to move forward is to abide in Him. Right? It's to continue to remain, to, to continue doing the will of God. Right? Verse 12 to 13 of our text today says, If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Right, that leads us to our fourth point. When you abide in God, we abide in God if we love one another. Right, it's on the screen. Right, take a look at it. When we abide in God if we love one another. Doesn't it look a little bit familiar? Aren't we back at point one again? Right, the evidence that we love God is when we love one another. And at the same time, when we love one another, we abide in God. So do you find that our Christian walk often brings us through such a cycle, right? Going through points one to four and then rinse and repeat. Right? Because I think the challenging thing is not so much about loving, right? It's about abiding and abiding is about continuing to love even after we fail. You know, very often we fail, but after a while we struggle, you know, and then we stop. Sorry, very often we love, right? But after a while we struggle and then we stop. You know, but abiding means that we, we, we go to Christ again, we confess our inadequacies, ask for help, and then we try again. Right? So it's like taking two steps backwards, but we will take another three forward. And this cycle that you see is a process of God's sanctification. And so, you know, as we abide in Christ, we are also being sanctified. And our text today expresses the same idea when it says, it is God's love being perfected in us. Verse 12. Right, the word perfect in Greek is often used in the sense of being mature or complete. And whenever it says that God's love is perfected in us, it is saying that God's love is expressed and experienced even more completely in us when we love one another. So when we learn to abide in spite of our struggles, then we truly learn obedience. And this is the example of Christ. Right In Hebrews 5, the writer says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Right? And uh, in verse 7, you can read about Jesus' suffering over there. And that is his struggle. And Jesus struggles too, you know, just like us. But Jesus continued to abide in the Father. And the writer calls that learning obedience. And this obedience is made perfect or complete. Because when Jesus demonstrated the perfect obedience in the flesh it gives us a visible example to emulate. You know, we often say that God's love is perfect. But at the same time, you know, His perfect love is also a perfecting love. You know, can you turn to your neighbor and say, God's love perfects us. You know, His love perfects us. Or in other words, His love works us towards maturity and towards His perfection. You know, so hence, you know, my final point here is that when we abide in God, we are being perfected by Him. Right? Isn't that wonderful? When we obey God's command to love, it's not merely just following a master's instructions. Right? Even though that in itself will be sufficient. Well, when we obey and abide in Him, we are also being molded and shaped and perfected by Him. You know, when you read today's verse, I'm not sure whether you find it a bit clunky and repetitive. Right? It says that if we love one another, then God abides in us, then we abide in Him, and then He in us. <laughs> right? It's a little bit long-winded, right? But to me, I think that it is intentionally phrased to convey this idea of continual molding. 
Well, I have an analogy to kind of illustrate this. Not a perfect analogy, but I hope it kind of uh, helps you co- uh, co- more concretely see this idea. You know, we are a bit like black pepper. Uh, black because it uh, represents sin. Uh. <laughs> and God's love is like this white dough, right? And when we abide and remain in Him, it's like adding the black pepper to this white dough or white flour, right? So now the, the pepper now is in, 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 the, in the dough. And in the beginning, you can see, right, it's uh, white dough with some black pepper. But when you add more and more white dough and you mix it and continue to mix it, soon the black pepper will be totally mixed in. And with enough white dough, you probably can't even see much or at all of the black pepper anymore, right? It's just going to be white, the end product. And when we love, you know, God abides in us and then we abide in Him and He in us again. And when we love more and more, it's like mixing this dough in more and more thoroughly and the end product is we become more like Christ. You know, today I began by asking us to do a self-examination, right? How do we know we know God? Well, and from John's letter, we see that we can know that we love God when we see that we love one another. But loving one another is often a struggle. And this struggle is a result of our sin. And we must take heed not to be discouraged. Because as long as we repent, Christ is our assurance and advocate. And He can cleanse us and make us ready again to love. And when we obey in love, we abide in God. And He continues to perfect us. It's a very simple message today. And after hearing all of these, right? What is it that we can apply? You know, the way that we are to abide in Christ, as we have seen, right, is to love one another. So true. So actually, the, the, the application for us today, for me, is just how can we love one another better? You know, when it comes to love, we often equate it with uh, evangelism and outreach. And this is not wrong because our Christian love should compel us to reach out and it definitely involves us loving others who have yet to know Jesus. So please, right, uh, respond to, to Debbie's call earlier, sign up, volunteer, serve, right, and then uh, reach out to the communities. These are all good things. But I'd like to suggest to us that when Jesus says, love one another, the primary context here is talking about believers. Right, in John 13, 34 to 35, uh, Jesus commands the disciples to love one another. And it is the same phrase, right, that John later used uh, in his letters. One another, right, in linguistic terms, uh, is called a reciprocal pronoun, right? That means it refers to a situation when someone performs an action on others and then receiving the same action in return, right? So let me give you an example, right? So we say, we can say, right, Joseph and Mary love each other, right? So each other is a reciprocal pronoun, right? So it means that, okay, so Joseph is loving Mary and Mary is also loving Joseph, so when Jesus commands us to love one another, right, one another, reciprocal pronoun, it means that he's asking us to give love and receive love reciprocally, right, among us, among brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not talking about loving pre-believers here, right, because pre-believers have no obligation to reciprocate your love. Right, but as we love one another and exchange this love among us, John 13, 35 tells us that by this, right, all people, right, that means the other people, we will now know that you are followers of Christ. Right, and likewise, in the previous chapter, First uh, John 3.16, it says that, By this we know love, that he had laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives, lives for the brothers. Right, the, right, the is referring to a specific group of people, right? In this case here, the brothers are the brothers and sisters in Christ, or the believers. And so today, in application, I would like us to consider 
how we can better love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I have a few applications for us to, to, to consider and, and to hopefully uh, practice this. My first application here is to know that you are not alone. Right? So it's a reminder to yourself. You tell yourself, you tell one another, you are not alone. But we are talking about being brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And we say right, we are a spiritual family. But sometimes we don't necessarily feel that way. You know, it doesn't feel like, hmm, really, we are family. It just feels a little bit distant. Some time ago, I met up with a member, right, who was sharing with me, he shared with me his uh, unhappiness with his whole extended family, right, all the family history, the fields, right, uh, who did what to whom, etc. And he was very disappointed with his family. Right, and one day he decided to talk to his grandmother about this. And so he sat down, talked to the grandmother and asked her, you know, with all these things happening around and you know all this history, some of which I don't even know, I recently found out only, right? If you know all this, when you, when, when you think about family, what comes to your mind? What do you think of family? And then the grandma's reply at that point in time was, family is just a word. Right? It is extremely lonely if you have family around you, but they don't feel like family. And I want to tell us here today, you know, in no uncertain terms, right? We are a family. We are really a family. You are not alone. Even if you feel that way. You know, that's because our family here is not dependent on, you know, chemistry, whether you can click, whether you have a lot of things to talk about. It's not even by human flesh and blood, but it is by the blood of Christ. We are family because Jesus tells us that we are a family. It's not something that we think is good to do, but it's something that Jesus tells us that we are. Right? So we are to just live it out even if it is imperfectly on this end of eternity. Right? You'll feel that maybe it's not really like a family because we are still imperfect. We are not there yet. But our promise and our assurance, our commitment is that we will try to be there. Right? And to that person I was talking to, right, I told him, you know, sometimes when people are discouraged, when they are upset or when they are, you know, just uh, a little bit disheartened, we may say things like, yeah, family is just a word. But I was encouraging him, I was telling him that. But the fact that his family, his extended family, they still try to meet, right, quite regularly and still try to celebrate occasions together and they buy gifts from one another, it means that family is not just a word for them as well. Well, there is something in there that is still hoping. Right, they're still not giving up yet. And for us believers, right, even if it's, you know, uh, taking two steps back sometimes, right, for us believers, we feel that like uh, church sometimes is not really uh, like family yet. But I want to encourage us that our commitment is that we will always try to love. The difference from, uh, uh, from uh, uh, that we have from other people is that our family is not rooted in all these human things. It's the love of Christ that binds us. And we are committed to that. Right? So if you are able to do this, right, then we are continuing to abide and we are continuing to abide in Christ. Right? So this application is really a reminding ourselves that we are not alone. Right? So if you are in church, especially in Kus, right, if you know that there is someone feeling alone, right, or you yourself feel that you are alone, right, please remind uh, yourself today that you know, that's not really the case. Right? We are trying. Right? We are trying to be a family. And uh, the rest of us here, if we are doing better and you notice someone like that, please be proactive in reaching out. And that brings us to our second, second application. Right? That is to make time to connect and listen. 
right? People who are lonely or isolated, right? Need people to connect and listen to them. I think we need to challenge ourselves to be more giving in our loving, right? To not just love the way we can, but to love with our best, right? That's the example of Christ, right? When He gave His Son, when God gave His Son, He gave His best. So how can we give our best to connect and listen? So I think that means to be intentional to connect rather than leaving it to chance. Right, so often we think that, oh yeah, if we happen to talk, right, if there is some time after service, right, and then uh, we, if we are standing around the same area, maybe I will, you know, ask uh, a bit more about the other person, right? If not, then it's okay, lah, right? When we are not intentional in connecting, right, meetings and conversations with people may only scratch the surface, right? So you just ask uh, the other person, right, hey, actually later, where, oh, where are you going for lunch, ah? Huh? Oh yeah, going here. Oh, I'm going there. Right. Oh, okay. Only after that, what you have? Oh, I'm going somewhere else. Oh, I'm doing this other thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's see you later. Oh, by the way, the weather today quite nice, huh? Right. So you're talking about all these uh, random things that that are not gonna help people feel loved, right? You're not you're not knowing more about the other person. You're not in a sense supporting one another uh, very much. Uh, but I need, but this is very natural, right? This is the normal state of things. Is to be honest, it's better than nothing, right? To have that minimal connection, sometimes it brings about something uh, to people as well, right? Because at least we know that uh, there's people that we can talk to. But I'm challenging us to go beyond that, to be even better, right? To really connect. And connecting has got to uh, do with coming to a place to really listen to one another's needs. And someone shared with me this uh, sometime back, right? She was going through uh, a difficult season in her life and pretty much on her own. Right, and when a group of friends, you know, asked to meet up, you know, she was very happy. And then they, they struggled a bit because it's hard to find a, a time to meet. And when they eventually nailed it down, right, wow, she was so excited and looking forward to this meeting. Right, but at the end of the meeting, right, she told me, wow, she left, wow, feeling quite sienna. It was because during this meet, this dinner, right, that her friends were all chatting about various things, right, talking about K-pop, K-drama, K-don't-know-what, like uh, office politics, uh, uh, celebrity romance, uh, who is going out with who and all that. And before they knew it, right, it was like, hey, I got to go soon, tomorrow I got to work. Huh? And then I'm like, okay, hey, by the way, I just, uh, I, just, I just left my job. Okay, yeah, pray for me, pray for me. <laughs> and then, uh, it was, and then one person left and the other person left. You know, it just happened that way. I don't know whether we can relate to that. You know, sometimes when we are not intentional, right, uh, we just get carried away talking about random things. And that doesn't sometimes help us connect. So for her, she said she didn't get to share about what she was going through because people didn't ask. And she also didn't get to hear much about their wives either. And she was thinking that, oh, if this person changed, I really want to find out why. I really want, I would have loved to find out, oh, you know, what was going through. But there was no opportunity because there was no intention to make it a time to connect. Right? So the next time we meet with our fellow brothers and sisters, I like to, you know, encourage us to remember to be intentional to connect and not just to, you know, chit chat randomly. Uh, and the third application for us here today, right, is to make peace with one another. You know, for some of us, it's difficult to love one another deeply or even very much because there's just too much hurt, anger, or unpleasant feelings that maybe perhaps built up over the years. And when we are in church long enough, we would have heard of people, you know, leaving cell groups, right, leaving church as well. Uh, and sometimes when people leave, right, because uh, they're upset and all that, they don't tell you that uh, they are upset. it's because they're upset. Right? They'll tell you that because uh, maybe their season has changed. Right? Uh, God is leading them to another place. <laughs> because it's more spiritual like that. Right? <laughs> but 
uh, even when they tell you that, if you are involved in their situation, you know lah, you know something is not right. And today, I want to encourage us to, to make peace. Right? First and foremost with God, and then with one another. You know, there have been a number of times where I have to play uh, the mediator for conflicts in some cell groups. And I'd like to say that, you know, I would have loved to come and testify today and say that many times everyone made peace and we all grew in a lot together and we are now a loving family, right? But unfortunately, that's not really the case. Right? There are times where after meeting, you know, the parties involved, they talk, they pray, and at the end, they still decided that I'm still very upset and uh, uh, I don't want to talk to the other person anymore. I still don't want to come for self. Right? I still don't want to, 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 to have anything to do with the other person. And I'm not sharing this to condemn anyone. Please do not feel condemned right, at all. Because I would just want to be honest with us that we know that this is the reality. Right? This is not so simple. And maybe some of us are in that situation today. And I hope that even if you choose to walk away from that brother or sister for a, for a season, right, you will at some point in time go back and make peace again. Because this is that's what we talk about, right? It's a process of sanctification. It's a cycle. Right, and it's the way to grow and mature. Right, it's okay to take some uh, uh, time off. Maybe you need to step back, but we need to get back to it again. Right, we may take two steps backwards, but we need to take another three forward. And perhaps today, today might be the time for you to take that one or two steps forward. Right, there is a brother I used to, to journey with, you know, some time back, uh, and and he has distanced himself from me. And uh, same thing, right? Yeah. It's a, he's in a busy season, can't meet as much. Right? You can read between the lines what that means. And he never told me what he was upset with me about. But as I said, you know, this kind of thing you, you kind of know. Lah. And after trying to connect with him a number of times and failing, right, I decided to give him some space. Right? And this brother, you know, I know him. He's, some, he's not somebody who is not serious in his walk. He's a mature believer. He's somebody who loves a lot. And he's somebody who was here, who all along me actively serving. I know him. And he, and we both of us will know that it's not right to harbor any of such ill feelings, right? And even though at times I feel a bit indignant, indignant I feel that I, I just need to pray for him uh, and also for myself and trust that we are all on our journey to make peace. I'm sure, right, he's, he's like that. And then just a few weeks ago, you know, I bumped into him again, right, after uh, not being able to, to you know, I never really have any good conversations, even though last time we bumped into each other. So this time around, a few weeks ago, I bumped into him, we had a short five-minute conversation, and was really very surprised, right, because that's the longest conversation that we had, perhaps in the past two years or so, right, usually it's like, we say, oh, uh, hello, hello, yeah, bye-bye, like, like so, <laughs> so this time around, it's a little bit better than that, significantly better, five minutes, and while I wouldn't say that we have resolved any issues, because I still don't know, you know, what had happened. Uh, but I'm glad that he's now able to have a short conversation with me. Because that must mean that he had made peace, right? Made more peace uh, with himself, with me, with the Lord. right? And he, I know he's trying to resolve that within himself. And I think I would say that now we, we probably have managed to take one step, one more step forward. And I continue to pray that we can take more. Right, so, so the three applications for us here today, right? Uh, number one, right, know that you're not alone. Number two, make time to connect and listen. And number three, make peace with one another. So you can flash that on the screen, right? So, no, no, don't show that first. <laughs> There's a, so, so do you know, do you, do you, do you, do you, you know, think that all these, uh, applications, you know, sound a bit familiar? Yeah, because now you see the answer already. Yeah. 
It's because uh, it's actually from a family credo, right? In, in reverse order, right? The first point is actually why you are not alone, right? The second is L, right? Listen to understand and M, making time to connect. And the third is to ignore offenses. Right? It's all in our family credo. And you might be wondering, right? Where's F and A? Right? It's coming soon, right? Don't worry. And now can you just turn to your neighbor and say, thank you for being my family. Right, well done. Now we have a firm always, right? <laughs> and do you have fun? Not so convincing. Do you have fun? Yeah. Wonderful, because that means that we are fun at all times, right? Can we give ourselves a round of applause? <laughs> so, you know, we, we, this is our family credo, and this family credo is not, not really, not really some random cheesy thing, lah. Like sometimes I, uh, I am very critical one, so sometimes I think it's very cheesy. But, but, it truly is not, right? It's, it, it is a simple way to remind us what family is about. You know, jokes aside, you know, on a more serious note, you know, as we come to an end today, you know, I hope we will not just think more about how we can love one another, don't need to theorize anymore already, or we need to start to really try, right? And continue to try to love better, because that's what abiding in Christ is about. You know, uh, the worship team right, will lead us in a response song right shortly. And as we you know, come together to worship, well, I would like you guys to also take this time to reflect and spend this time with the Lord. I want to give this opportunity also as well. You know, if you feel that the Lord is tugging at your heart this morning, right, He's speaking to you, whether is it about the fact that you need to make peace or challenging you, right, to make time to really connect with people, or the fact that you are alone and you are struggling and you really need God's touch. If any part of this, you know, speaks to you and you want to respond to the Lord as we worship, please come up to the front. Right, shall we take this time? Shall we all rise? Let's focus on the words. Let's direct our attention to God. Abiding, O oh Lord. 
Father God, we want to pray for all of ourselves here today, this morning. Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you. Lord, we want to abide in you. We want to be fruitful. We want to be loving. We want to produce fruits of love. We want to be loved. God, this morning, Lord, we pray, God, that all the things that you are speaking to us, whether is it that we need to step out to connect or that we need to make peace with people. Lord, we want to pray, God, just that you come and give us that, that, that touch that we need. And you empower us, give us that bonus, give us that courage to step out, to take that two or three more steps forward, Lord. So, Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you. And, Lord, we want to say, Lord, that we want to continue trying because we know that your Holy Spirit will continue to guide us. He's our helper. And as we abide in you and as we lean on your spirit, Lord, will you give us that power to obey, Lord? So God, we pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the, 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 the altar is open, right? So be later on, like you may want to come forward. We will like pray with you. And can, can you just continue remain standing as I give you the benediction, right? May the grace of our love, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of our love of our of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. My service is over. See you next week. <laughs>